Oh, here we go. This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript The Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A., Bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code JavaScriptJabber, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 165 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have... Dave Smith. Greetings. Jameson Dance. Hello, friends. Amy Knight. Hello. AJ O'Neill. Yo, yo, yo. Coming at you live from Birthday Town. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's your birthday today, isn't it? Woo! Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. And this week we have two special guests. We have Chris Coyler. What's up? Hello. Thanks for having me. And David Rupert. Hi, thanks for having me. So you gentlemen want to introduce yourselves really quickly? Dave, you do. I, I've been dying to. <laughs> uh, I'm Dave Rupert. I uh, work at a, for a small three-person company in Austin, Texas. We're called Paravel, uh, which is really hard to say on the phone. But P-A-R-A-V-E-L. Um, work with two of my best friends. And we, we work kind of with big companies there. And we kind of graft into big companies. And then I co-host Shop Talk with Chris Coyer. And it's a weekly podcast all about front-end web design and development. Oh, pretty good, Dave. I could have probably done you a little better. You want to elevator pitch me? Maybe. No. <laughs> All right. Pitch me. Like, pitch me. Like cool shaggy hair and everybody likes me and I make tiny jQuery plugins. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Can you write I, I, my tombstone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, There's a lot of ellipses and ums and ahs. <laughs> I'm Chris Coyer, and uh, I have a, uh, a blog called CSS Tricks. That's where most people know me from because it's, it's, it's not old, but it's, I've been writing about CSS there forever. JavaScript's buddy, CSS. 
since uh, since 2007 or so. And these days, I work for myself. I work on a on an app called CodePen. It's CodePen.io. And yeah, we have a a, a similar ish podcast uh, called Shop Talk Show. Me and Dave do it. Yeah. Can, can hey, I ask you Chris. about CSS tricks first? Yeah. Like, is there anything, any such thing as a CSS thing that's not a trick? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was awesome. <laughs> I think that's an actually valid question, though, because the other day I discovered why I don't like CSS. Oh. And it's because, it took you this long? Yeah, what hour did you It took me this long to figure out why. Because, like, with a program you know whether or not the program is correct and you can test it and you can empirically know this program does its function. False. With CSS, I've never been able to do that. <laughs> with CSS, there's no way to know. Well, you could write it like a unit test is what you're saying, right? Like there's a right or wrong answer to output. Yeah, like there's no right or wrong way to center a div. Like you can do it the way that takes 30 lines and like really weird relatively position things or you can do it with a just a friggin' Center tag. <laughs> well, don't do that. But <laughs> you're right. There's multiple ways to accomplish the same thing. But that would be true in any language, right? You could write up. You could write a bad way to do multiplication. I'm sure you could find a way to do that. But yeah, then, even if you up? get it right in one browser, it may not be right on another browser because it literally has a different rendering engine, or the screen size is tiny, or or medium, or big, and and you don't have enough room to do what you're trying to do. Yeah, the the output of CSS is a much more variable environment for sure and that i can see how that would be frustrating i think you know it's certainly different worlds takes to different uh, personality types for sure i wrote my own multiply function it's 10x faster than using native <laughs> multiply operator yeah. oh wow <laughs> just kidding <laughs> I can't that. I JS. <laughs> you wrote it uh, in rust right <laughs> yeah actually i was using golang js that's how i did it yeah sure I bet you could. They say CSS or SAS is Turing complete, right? You could probably write it on CSS somehow. If like it a, doesn't have to be right, I could write like a super <laughs> <laughs> return zero. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's wicked fast. So shop talk. Do you want to talk to us about what that is? There might be people in this audience that have never even heard of it, and there we might will be not. We will try very, not to shame them on this very panel. <laughs> uh, it was kind of Dave's idea. Back in the day, I kind of always secretly wanted to do one because occasionally we, I would get invited to be a guest on one just like this, and it's fun as heck. <laughs> and uh, it really is. Like I think a lot of people get off being a guest on a podcast and they secretly dream about starting their own because it was so much fun. You know, I don't know, just is. So I, but I, you know, it's a bunch of work, obviously, especially years and years and years ago when there was less tooling for it and websites that support it and stuff. So uh, I kind of secretly wanted to do it, but wasn't ready to do all the work for it and was in the back of my mind ready to say yes to the next person who asked me to, if we wanted to kind of split the load on doing one. Unfortunately, that was Mr. Rupert here. And that's where <laughs> I came in. I So it, I think it was what, like four years ago or something. It was fine. Uh, there were lots of web podcasts, but they all kind of tended to be very interviewee, kind of long format I'm going to talk to somebody for an hour and those are really fun. But like when all of them were kind of that, it was really, really like, I don't know. It was, I was just like, can't we have a fun one? That's kind of like, I don't know. I mean, literally, I think our formula was like car talk meets web design. Uh, and oh, 
Yeah. And so that's kind of the, we mashed those up and, and just, you know, it was like, who's the funniest guy I know. It's like Chris and also very knowledgeable. And so we, we, just we should have been started out. right click. That would have been <laughs> <laughs> oh, darn it. Can we go awesome. back? Do, do we get a do over? Sure. Clicking, right. <laughs> oh man. That is such a good idea. Oh man. But it's click like and this. click and right click the tap event brothers. Oh, oh, just gets better. <laughs> Those NPR references. That's the essence of humor. Uh, we, we do a lot of them. We're I love you guys so much right now. <laughs> so, so I was, I was going to ask specifically about that. It seems like your shows, there's a good balance of the knowledge bombs and like really entertaining. And it sounds like that was kind of a conscious decision that you wanted to make something that was fun to do and listen to, right? Yeah. Or, I think or are you just like naturally hilarious all the time? Well, I think that was part of our, you know, what could we do with a podcast with our personalities? So I think that's kind of what comes out. I think it's also really important. I mean, Chris and I are very dedicated to making websites and talking about websites and you talk about websites. You, I mean, what are we doing right now? We're talking about websites. I think at the core, it's about making websites and then sharing that, that knowledge, which is how we all get better. I don't think... I don't know a single programmer who's like, yeah, I only read books. I never talk to anyone. I just read books. And that's how I get so better. It's not That's not a programmer. <laughs> but the call-in thing was the original idea. I thought it would have been really cool to take questions on the air. I think the tech is hard for that and the like screening to make sure that there's less crazy, yeah. we'll say offensive stuff or whatever, is a little tough. So we we never quite got there. We actually built out a whole Twilio app, like with their API to like call in and like we approve calls and stuff like that. But yeah, you can't like the chances of getting a rando are kind of too high, you know, Um, live on the air. Yeah. Just, I mean, if you guys, you guys have been to conferences like South by Southwest or something, uh, and, uh, it's the talk happens and the microphone opens up and then some, somebody gets up there and is just like, yeah, I would like to tell you about my very cool thing. I made it's, uh, really dumb and very, uh, you know, it's just like, like work an enterprise like, and what yeah. like every every talk I've ever given. Well, it just. <laughs> <laughs> but why does it have to happen at the end? I so need to get a soundboard for these shows. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's just like you you risk a lot if you can't screen people, or it or it turns into like Chris Farley, where like he's interviewing uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he's like Terminator. <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> it's like that. It, anyway, but so we scrap that and we just do audio, like pre-recorded audio questions that come in. And I would say we screen those, but we kind of don't. And uh, <laughs> so we just do it live and just run roll it. the dice. Yep. Yeah. No, we'll do it live. <laughs> <laughs> It's been working out pretty good, though. We're at one one seventy one. We just recorded one earlier today, and, and and it's been fun. We have people on, and and we can, you know like talk to them for a second so people know who they are. But then they help us answer the questions, and we kind of pick the questions based on what they think. But we, you know, I, I, I've I've listened to 
a ton of JavaScript Jabber myself, and I, you know, I, your format is pretty awesome too. Uh, where you just, you get people in that like actually made the thing that they're about to talk about, and you kind of pepper them with questions based on that. It's pretty cool. I know we're talking about your podcast on your podcast, which is a little weird, but but congratulations! I like this format too. It's really cool. In fact, in our next little season, I think we're going to. Or at least this is an unapproved idea, but we're gonna like steal other podcast formats maybe and do like an an homage to to Java. Script Jabber and like you know have somebody on that talks about their thing and we'll credit you of course and then have a different one where we like talk about a book or something in some other format or do we were thinking of doing like a wait wait don't tell me cop you know steal some NPR formats and stuff could be you fun. know yeah we'll see if we actually rad. pull it off <laughs> who gets to be Carl Castle oh it's somebody funnier than either of us <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if he's free a lyricist. <laughs> so uh, I am wondering, you know, you, you're talking about wanting to have a show for front end people that's kind of fun and a little bit different. Is there a specific type of outcome that you're hoping that your listeners get other than just entertainment? Like, is there some value in their career or life or the internet or anything else? I mean, I suppose I'm not trying to make people's lives worse. Certainly, you know? well, yeah, but <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I I know what you mean, but like, if you subscribe to Shop Talk, will you become a better person too? Probably not. It's just just to fill some time with some with some niche learning stuff. You know, there is a heck of a lot of like FAQ type of thing. Is when you have an open forum and be like, ask me anything, and we've gotten thousands and thousands of questions submitted to us over time, a theme starts to develop, which is kind of interesting, that kind of define your show. And you have to be careful, like, do we address that question over and over and over again? Or do we say, hey, we're not going to answer that question anymore? Or how do you handle it? I'm not sure I have the right answer for that necessarily. But one question that's probably the number one ever on Chop Talk is the kind of what do I learn next question. Maybe you guys get this one a lot too. It's because, you know, there's new technologies all the time. How do I stay up to date with stuff? Or I learned some HTML and CSS. I want to get into JavaScript. How do I do that? Or which framework should I try? Or should I start with Node? Or should I go right to the front end or whatever? People just, they want to be told what to learn next. Uh, and they ask us for some reason. And like, do you want to listen to a podcast, 171 episodes of a podcast where they just field that question over and over? You got to kind of avoid doing the same show over and over. But it's worth bringing it up once in a while because we, we ended up getting a fun soundbite out of it, which is our, our advice tended to be over time, just build websites, like let what you build, let your ideas, let the thing that you're working on guide what you're learning next. Because that's that's how you learn anyway, you know, rather than from the book or from, from watching a video or whatever. So just stop, you know, stop asking exactly what technology you should learn next, and let your idea guide you. And so that's kind of the the thought behind it. But what the soundbite it turned into was just build websites. And uh, a couple of years ago, we got to do a, a live show at a conference, and we had the whole audience go, "Just build websites." <laughs> Uh, so that soundbite out of where, where did all those so people come from? Were they just like right there in the room with you? They well, went to LA. Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> right? Dave, you got to grab that. We got to use that. I know. Yeah. That's great. We're pivoting. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's just what it reminded me of. Yes, it's exactly perfect. <laughs> oh, God. Next time they're expecting us to play that soundbite, we'll play the other one. It's, uh, that would be hilarious. <laughs> I, I call Vanna. Um. <laughs> oh, that's great. But yeah, it's been it's it's been really it's been really fun, you know. 
it's kind of this thing that has remained fun largely because Dave keeps it fun and and non-serious and we all we have other jobs too so we're not really kind of betting the farm on this one and not that there's you know anything wrong with trying to do that but you'd probably have to do more than just one podcast about a super niche thing and it's funny how niche we really are because the chances of me knowing who the guest is on an, any given episode of javascript jabber is is, is kind of low even though the people end up being like oh i'm the i'm the dude who made lodash or whatever i'm like oh dang i know that thing but i didn't know your name so like but we're super related podcasts and yet you know i hardly know anybody so it's man is it niche what we do you know it's even within the same industry, it's hard to know who's who. Well, and in particular in the web development industry and in you know JavaScript and some of the front-end technologies, I mean, it seems like there's something new every week. And so we just luck out in getting the somebody on the show knows somebody that knows the right. guy that built the popular thing or something. I mean, is it a coincidence that we're a weekly podcast and there's something new every week? I mean, I think most technology <laughs> is basically yeah, organizing with our schedule. Oh, is that it? Do you guys just kind of follow days since last JavaScript framework? <laughs> and, and that's your release. Code. It would be perpetually like two. Zero. Yeah. So yeah. here we have the sign on I-15 that says like X number fatalities or uh, fatality free days out of past like Y days. And I think that's kind of the JavaScript <laughs> framework landscape. Like there have been no new frameworks in the past six <laughs> hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you find that people generally say yes to i mean i think i think that's what i've heard from most podcasters that it's kind of like flattering to be asked to be on a podcast and probably was, like a good idea for your job to be on said podcast so you should probably say yes yeah. i was kind of shocked at how i mean everyone has different time constraints and stuff but i thought no one would ever want to come on <laughs> ever <laughs> but it turns out giving people a platform is attractive to them who would have thought yeah. Plus, they can be on like in the middle of the day, <laughs> which yeah. is which just speaks to our industry a little bit. I got a buddy who like books people for an actual radio show, and they're like authors and people in all kinds of industries. And apparently, it's a pain in the butt. You know, they're like, I have 15 minutes, but I'm going to be in a cab, and there's 10 bridges on the way, so don't count on it. You know, it's tough to get it. Like, it's somebody like an author at a at a tiny local radio station because it's like, I don't know, what are you going to sell three books or something to? Uh, it's harder to book people that yeah. don't need a platform. Yeah, but we are in a niche too, and there isn't a radio show out there for JavaScript developers or front end developers, and that's that's kind of the need that we fill. And plus, if you come niche. on, I mean, if you come on here, you sell at least ten semicolons, like way more than <laughs> even if they're automatically inserted. Although Chuck, how's it going getting Justin Bieber on the show? He's been pretty hard, right? Oh man, I I can't even tell you. It's Wait, hard to hard to pin that guy down. Huh. That's weird because I thought he was with the whole like I can has cats or whatever framework. Uh huh. Yeah. The L, the, the piano cat. That was yeah. in JS too. But yeah, for the most part, people say yes and they're excited to come on. I mean, it helps that we have a, a fair number of people that listen to the show, but it's also, you know, it's their opportunity to talk to people like them about what they do and have people get excited. Like, uh, yeah, I even I you know have you ever talked to somebody from Google or whatever? Sometimes they have to prove to their boss like how like effective they have been in the community. So they like have to prepare little emails to send their boss that it's like I was on this show and it got this many listens, and then I wrote this blog post that got this many page views and stuff. I'm not sure if that's all how it is, but I've definitely like gotten that. Like, can you provide me with? <laughs> 
your listener thing so I can tell my boss yeah, if I de- did a good job? It depends on the company. So Google is really good about that. You know, I mean, obviously there are some things that they can't talk about. And when we stray into that, they're usually like, yeah, I can't talk about that. And then it gets cut out and nobody ever knows. But I have shows on Ruby and iOS and so I was talking to somebody at Amazon about coming on and talking about some of the features in AWS. And uh, I got a yes with an attached, but we reserve the right to veto anything that's said and you have to take it out. You know, because they're worried about, you know, controlling the message and making sure it's all on point, right. um, which makes total sense. But at the same time, you know, it's it's a little frustrating. Um, right. I have an iOS show and trying to get people from Apple just doesn't happen. Yeah. Like they, they will not talk about anything, but then they have the big WWDC keynote and all that stuff. And then a lot of it comes out. So it just depends on the company and how they want to approach different things. I have a wild change of subject. You have the questions like, what do you do if, if people don't know the answer? That was, so I was on your show a while ago and that was the scariest part of it for me. Like all these people yeah. are going to be asking me questions. I'm surprised by <laughs> I that. I mean, not that you're, you have the right to be scared and that's, you're not alone. And a lot of people kind of worry about that. And I'm like, it's just not, we, I don't know that we've ever answered a question on Shop Talk Show. <laughs> <laughs> or like just a guide, a framework for a conversation, really. Sure. Uh, yeah. Some people are just like, uh, pass. <laughs> our guest Laura Shank today we, we we had one of the questions and she she passed I was like okay that's cool yeah I wouldn't you know don't worry about it we like sometimes we tell people like listen this is our 171th show we have a certain degree of experience with guiding this thing along we're not going to ask you a question and then go silent and just let you hang with dead air that would be not, you know bad radio and bad and just brood <laughs> so don't we worry do about all it all the time <laughs> I think but we can guide you. Live, to so. If I can tell that they just don't feel like it, we can move on to the next question. It's, uh, you know, it's called skilled hosting. <laughs> <laughs> we try to keep it like water cooler level, like, hey, we're talking about this. Do you have an opinion? And usually people do. I, I mean, there's, I think, only a few times in 170 something episodes that people were just like, yeah, I don't really know. So you just got to know how to pick questions, too. That's the tough part. It's, Chris does probably a lot of work in, like, figuring out just about what people's wheelhouses are and how how it can kind of correlate. So, yeah. But then, you can always I mean, jump back to the, like, questions about how they learned particular things. Or there's, some, there's some questions that any guest can pipe in, like, you know, is college worth it? That's a pretty common one that we <laughs> That's an FAQ, yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting how those answers have changed over time. Like, should you go to college? You know, different people have different experiences and, and give different answers. So that's really cool. You know, the classic, you guys probably get this every week. Should I use jQuery or raw JavaScript? Which Good. is like pretty <laughs> awesome question. But, you know, it sounds silly now, but it was like a big question like four years ago. Kind of the new, new, new question is like, is Squarespace or the grid or, you know, Macaw replacing web design? You know, and it's like, yeah, it might be, you know. So our our answer used to be this really defensive, like, oh, no way, no computer could ever do what I do. But now it's like, yeah, uh, computers are pretty good now. So they might be able to do some of what I do. <laughs> They're getting smarter faster than I'm getting smarter. So, oops. <laughs> Did you guys read that Paul Ford article that was just out? That what oh, is code? Man, that was so good. 
I tried yeah, to get well. everyone in my life that doesn't program to read it, and they didn't care. But oh, but it was it started out pretty nerdy. Yeah, uh, I think it a lot of them bounced off. But it was, it was so good. It was secretly written for programmers. I think it was kind of. <laughs> everyone loves the story there. I brought it up because I was thinking about like so tech is a niche. And web tech is a niche within that niche, and just JavaScript is a niche within that. You know, like we're, we're, you know, this pretty specific kind of thing. But in the Paul Ford article, he says, like, imagine, uh, so there's some study that was like, how many programmers are in the whole world? And it's like 11 million was the number being thrown around, and 7 million on top of that that do it as a kind of a hobby. But it, so if you, you know, take it kind of all together, that's roughly the population of the greater metropolitan Los Angeles area. And then he was like, well, if it's, you know, if, if just iOS programmers then are this neighborhood and where we kind of breaks it down by that kind of things. And I was like, I wonder what front end developers represent out of that 11 million. I just don't have a good sense of it. Is it tiny and niche or is front end development like huge and totally is one of those neighborhoods? Oh, that's a good question. I wonder what percentage of all bugs are written by front-end developers. <laughs> no, that's, in in my experience, 100. <laughs> <laughs> so are you saying... Never mind. I'm yes. just wondering if he did like Dante's Inferno and he assigned, like I don't know, PHP developers to the slums or something. No, he stayed away from that. But he did talk about how we do that and how oh, now you're making me programmers feel get about languages. Why why do they get so care mad about different languages? Why do we? I don't remember what he said. Well, uh, he said there's absolute truth and <laughs> is that part of it is is because in most of our work there is absolute truth and that therefore we try to apply that absolute truthiness to everything? Is that ooh I think it's because we're humans. And we're prone to clans and infaction yeah. fighting. Yes. Yourself, I'm Squarespace. I think it's the competitiveness <laughs> of people. <laughs> Says the professional competitor. Adam. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How many push-ups can you do? <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me that question. <laughs> I That's am like an athlete. six. <laughs> no, so? seriously, though. I don't know. Like, I've heard the whole, like, Ruby JavaScript argument, and people get passionately upset about this <laughs> when you hang out with ruby dudes and i'll call them that on this show <laughs> or ruby people <laughs> man they they have strong opinions about node you know and and how npm is super bad and dumb you know but then you <laughs> you talk to one, is it no, I, I, I was like, I, I felt case. like I was in like foreign land because, <laughs> you know, everything I listened to is all node based. And I was like, surely they downloaded the right node, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's like when you go to a foreign country for the first time and you're like, wait, America is some people think America isn't the best. Yeah, no, it, it was totally <laughs> like that. And they were slogging off NPM just like. Oh man, it doesn't even work. It's Fail Town USA, and and I was just like, "Have y'all used Never Bundler though?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> or have you? He, I know people who work on Bundler, and it's an amazing piece of software. But like, it was just like Ruby has a couple problems, y'all. Uh, that that's sort of where I was thinking in the back of my head. But it's interesting just how people gravitate to their technology and, and gravitate hard. People are all in on lots of technology. 
I wonder if it's because it's such a time investment too. Like if Ruby is not the best, you have made a long and costly mistake and it's going to be hard to change it. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that might be true, but Go's only existed for a couple of years and no one knew about it until the past six months. So you can't blame them. And it's the best though. I mean, if we're being real here. It's Wintown, USA. <laughs> <laughs> so being the resident Ruby dude on the show, by the way, Ruby means like any language. I'm not trying to I say know. Ruby is not the best. But Ruby is fantastic. I, I find this with, you know, we, we've had people from all kinds of different languages on all the different shows. And ultimately what it boils down to is people like X either because it's familiar or they like their thing because of this or that. And everything else kind of gets painted with the not like my preferred or familiar tool. And so, hmm. you know, they get into NPM and they expect it to work like Ruby Gems. And they don't realize that it has a component to it that's sort of like Bundler. And it just put together a little bit differently. And so they run into a barrier because it's not what they expected because it's not Bundler. You know, mm. I, I have a little different perspective. When I get to know a technology, it starts to feel like a really good friend. Like it, mm -hmm. it does all these awesome things for me. Makes my I life have a better. pillow I've thrown away in 15 years. So. Yeah, exactly, right? And I'm what? not going to come and tell you your pillow is. But I mean, seriously, like, and then when someone says it's crap or you see someone else like, well, that's not as good as my friend. My friend would never do that to me. You know, I don't know. I tend to love the things I use. Yeah. And then I love them too much. It's like a good trait in life. You know, it's just maybe not so great. So I tend to make really aggressive comments about the things that I love until somebody like just totally slams me the, to the point where I'm like, dang, you're right. And then I start using JavaScript. <laughs> No, I mean, that's actually, like, the way I got into Node was because I was at a Ruby meeting and nobody was slamming Ruby or anything, but this guy just started talking about how great JavaScript is and everything, and the next thing you know, I'm a JavaScript developer. Like, <laughs> I stick with my technologies with, like, fierceness until I'm convinced that something else is definitely better. I mean, I loved Windows. I used to tell people about Windows XP. I was like, you know what? Windows is the best thing that ever happened to computers. The problem is that you're running AOL, and that's using 600% of your RAM. And that was true. And then somebody introduced me to Linux. And I was like, oh, no, the reason that Windows doesn't work great is because it's Windows. <laughs> you know? Yeah, man. <laughs> I kind of have a question about back to Shop Talk, if that's okay. Yes. So I'm somewhat of a new developer, and I'm curious, was it a conscious decision to make your podcast like accessible to people just beginning? And how do you kind of balance uh, like the technical content so that you – make the podcast relevant for everybody listening. I think by the nature of Chris's blog, uh, CSS tricks being very, when you have a, you know, you're new and you have a CSS problem, or even if you're very experienced and you have a CSS problem, you usually end up on Chris's blog. And so I think we get a lot of traffic from that. I, one thing I've noticed about Chris and, and how he explains, I realized this really early on. Chris, whenever approaching a problem, you, he starts at the beginning, like, okay, let's deconstruct this. This is what it is. And then like, here's the next step of how it gets more complex. And here's the next step and kind of builds out like an onion. And I don't know if you know that you do that consciously, Chris, but, but you do. And it's awesome. And it really, I think it really helps new people learning. Um, and then we also have this deep dive sound effect. It's like a, a submarine horn that goes a wooga. Um, here, I'll, I find it for you, but if you, hear, if, you hear, if you hear the deep dive sound effect, that means it's about to get nerdy and like very, very kind of like, 
nuts and bolts. Like we had somebody from CodeShip on who who just it was continuous integration the whole show, which is just like for like our audience, that's probably like very foreign. Like, why would I continuous integrate anything? I use WordPress, but it was kind of a deep dive. And I feel like it was very, very good to kind of, I don't know, kind of learn how that all worked. So um. a lot of it comes from some degree of empathy for someone who doesn't know what you're talking about. So just stop for two seconds and think like what prerequisites they probably need to understand the sentence you're about to say and maybe say those ones first for, <laughs> for context or whatever. Not that I don't think I know that we're particularly talented on it, but uh, when you do that, it ends up being slightly more beginner tint to your show. I mean, I think we're probably capable of doing a slightly uh, higher level show, but we just kind of have fun where it's at. And in our show is guided by the questions that we get, which tend, you know, we get what we get and, they tend to be lower levels. Or which, which is the one where it's more complicated, lower level or higher level? Oh, man. All of them. <laughs> <I guess laughs> all all the levels are complicated. <laughs> primitives? Are we talking about primitives now? Browser primitives? We're talking higher order <laughs> complexity jacks or something? Oh, yeah. So there really, there's no consensus on that. When you say this is a low-level language, it could be either one. It could be like CSS or, well, I don't know. It's just a different dimension, zeros. I think. I gotta think it's like, oh, but I was, I was just about to totally contradict myself. I was gonna say, I think it has to be like a limbo bar. Like if it's low, you can just jump over it, but no, if it's low, it's super hard to get under it. (laughs) This is confusing. This is very, even the metaphors are hard. And how can we expect anyone to understand? That's a really uh, tough to to acquire skill, like the ability to explain stuff without assuming that they know things that you already know. I can't even comprehend the fact that I know stuff that other people don't know. Like that's the number one blocker for for new bloggers, which I find a little sad. But people are like they can't put themselves in a in a mental space where they think that as soon as they learn something, they assume the whole world also knew it. Instead of assuming that you you just broke some new ground there, or, which you know, is probably, of course, halfway true and halfway not true. You know, some people know what you just learned, but not all of them do. And nobody knows exactly how you just learned it and what was particularly confusing to you as you just learned it and in the context you just learned it in and all that kind of stuff. I wish, you know, not that your feeling is invalid or whatever. Of course, it, it isn't. That's the blocker. That's why it's just not accurate is what you're saying. Hmm. Well, and then you have like the two extremes of people, the people who like feel like they don't know much and like, you know, they know a good amount. And then the people who don't know much, but think they know a ton. <laughs> yeah, that's dangerous too. Yeah. Or it can be anyway. It, it relates to the, one of the very first things we talked about, which is the, like the backend languages versus things like design and CSS and stuff. I always found it a little easier to talk about CSS because in CSS you can be, you can present it in like, well, this worked for me. I have it up. It's on a production site. It's doing the job that it needs to do. I have all the evidence that I need that it's solving a problem kind of thing. Uh, and other people can't, you know, or not that they can't, they may try, but, uh, especially if it's kind of a design decision kind of thing. Like this is a particular style of button we used or this is where we put it on the page. 
Uh, it's, it's hard to kind of disprove that kind of thing. Whereas if you post some code and it clearly has an XSS problem with it or is a very slow way to do it, people can like empirically prove that you were wrong. And that's a pretty bad feeling. That would scare me from like, you know, starting a new blog about Ruby or whatever. Cause I can, you can just be wrong. <laughs> But yeah, that's a good point. So the last couple of years, there's been a lot of talk about microservices. And then the last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of talk about how they're not actually the best. And it's really weird how quickly the community opinion of the right way to build backend systems is just like totally the opposite of what it was before. Is, don't you and think that there's probably a gray area in between those two strong opinions? That's the that right. That is way too reasonable and well. won't get any hits. <laughs> <laughs> It's in our either work. functional programming or it's object-oriented. There's no middle ground. Don't kid yourself. Performance has been a super hot topic, at least in the circles that I run in. And then like well, a hot topic-ish kind of thing is we're losing the web to native apps, and it's largely because of performance. And like, oh, what a joke it is that you might go to a website and the, the text won't show up for two seconds, or an image shows up before the text because it's using a custom font, and that custom font is taking a long time, and browsers made this weird decision to not show any text at all before it shows up. And that's such a huge penalty, and native app will never have that kind kind of problem and and so then there's like super strong opinions on both sides there's like well it's you know why don't you blame big bloated frameworks like react or whatever fill in the fill in the framework here that that's the problem you know that's all these tools that are the problems and then it'll be like don't use tools and then there'll be people like it's not the tool it's the problem it's how you use it and being reasonable about it so there's people like you know use all the tools tools are here to help us but of course the right answer is use a tool when it when it makes something better and don't use it if it makes something worse you know the the right answer tends to live in the gray oh boring it feels right? like worst blog post ever <laughs> <laughs> i was it just typing like... what you were saying as fast as i could so i could put it on my blog <laughs> <laughs> it feels like the extremes are valuable to help kind of anchor the discussion though because yeah. yes, people true. probably know more about microservices and monoliths now because there's this debate over it and maybe most people end up kind of in the middle, right? Uh, which it, maybe we're saying is better for, for everybody. I don't know. Maybe it's not. No, maybe we I should all be lumberjacks. Maybe we shouldn't good... code because there's no absolute truth. And what are we even doing? The only good blog post is blank found harmful. I'm sorry, that's it. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't wait for my first one. I'm really saving up something good for it. I <laughs> Do you have a soundboard yes, sound for an existential crisis? Uh, is it just like <laughs> well played just like mm. a giant wall of like white noise um <laughs> no abstract yeah we should, re- we should record the sound of jameson's head splitting open <laughs> i mean maybe you know when he's just so frustrated with all the tools no the, the i'm not screen, frustrated with the tools the sound of ultimate suffering from princess bride yeah, maybe that one. It's just sad. I'm I'm sad that I don't know the right answer to everything. Wow, that must be tough. Bathed in sorrow. <laughs> That's a Greek tragedy figure. I think. <laughs> I'm not as buff as those guys, though. Uh. And I have more clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about CSS tricks. How do you learn new stuff to put on there is that too dumb of a question i feel like i personally have had a hard time learning css even though i've done it for a long time 
And just the idea that someone knows all of CSS is pretty, I don't know. You know what I'm saying, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, where ideas come from, fortunately, at this point, has become fairly easy just because it's such a, you know, enough people read it and there's enough community behind it that there's like, there's like kind of a back channel, you know, there's emails flowing around and I go to enough conferences and stuff and, and I have kind of rituals for saving ideas and stuff that the, the idea stream is very full. So I don't really consider that like a huge, huge problem at the moment. Well, my strategy for saving ideas is largely the, to write them down, <laughs> which is pretty, pretty solid. I know, but I have a, the way that I do it is to, to attempt to, in the best case scenario, write like the first paragraph of the post, if you can, instead of just the root idea. Because a lot, you know, I have countless bad notes that are, that just say something like fonts, question mark. I'm like, <laughs> oh man, that's awful. I had one that was said circles once and I, it really, it really bothered me because I remember when I wrote that down, I had this super good idea and it had something to do with circles and I could not resurrect what the heck it was. Uh, and I resolved at that point to, to to do a better job. So a lot of times I'll write down a really long title and I'll write enough so that a, as I am reading it, right as I'm writing it, that it's like clearly like ignites the spark of why that was interesting. Then it's easy to revisit because you, you know that there's like enough there in those words to kind of get the spark back. And a lot of times it's like, oh, it was this moment at which I didn't understand something and then I did understand something. I just started a draft this morning uh, where I was looking at an idea for a post, I was like, ah, you know, I should post something this week, you know, and 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 there 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 was the idea, and it was this, uh, it was like, what is golf? Which is weird, but then I wrote enough notes to to kind of resurrect it. it enough people have like mentioned code golf to me in like context and passing, and it made me like furrow my brow and kind of like be like, what what are the heck are they talking about? Is it just like a metaphor for work or something? And I didn't understand that. In code, golf is like trying to write some code like on purpose in the fewest number of characters that you possibly can. It's like a game, you know? I'm sure you guys have heard of it, haven't yeah, you? Golf. Yeah, golf. Yeah, code golf. But enough people don't know. I b- Believe me, there's people out there that I didn't know what it was. And if I don't know what it is, you know, there probably is other people that don't. So I was just going to make a quick little blog post explaining that. If you hear it in conversation or in passing, this is what it means. Here's some examples of golf in different languages and stuff. It's not like a brilliant blog post, but CSS Tricks is seven years of not so brilliant blog posts that combined is kind of a useful resource, you know. So that's my story. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. That's how you blog. You just write down mediocre ideas and then knock them out. And then, then you write more down about them. Yeah. Cool. Dave, I know you, uh, you do a project involving accessibility. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Oh, gosh. When was it? 2000 and let's say 13. Uh, me and some other people started the Accessibility Project, and it is a project aimed at lowering the bar of accessibility and, and trying to make it easier to understand that we kind of have three goals. It's to make things, Oh, I'm kind of, I can't, I forget to make it's digestible to, so we strive for like two minute articles, like everything should be read in two minutes and, and, and really a, a, an easy reading level. A lot of the stuff I came across when, when I'm trying to learn accessibility and I still like don't consider myself an expert at all. But a lot of the stuff I came across was like they, they would just link to like the spec, you know, and it's like, 
that sucks. That is like, if you're trying to learn anything and you like link to the spec, like you lost the argument. That is the worst place to send somebody to learn something. So, uh, we're focusing on like two kind of two minute articles. Try to keep it up to date with best practices. That was another thing. Like you, you'd learn something and it turns out it is actually way out of favor. It should never be used. It is like access keys you might have heard or or even like uh, like tab index, you know, when you everyone was like, oh, you just add tab a tab index in there and it'll fix it. And it's like actually yeah. tab index is sometimes super bad. You have that's to like an HTML attribute that you put on divs and spans and whatever, and you put tab index one, tab index two, tab index three, and that will control the order of when people are hitting the tab key, which ones they go to. And if you're mm-hmm. having problems with tabbing, you might reach for that to put on things because it will kind of temporarily fix the problem, but it kind of turned into an anti-pattern, right? That people would reach for that tool and it would actually kind of hurt the tab index system. Yeah, it was like default in Rails, like form builder for a while, and it just ruined kind of accessibility. You know, my favorite example, I think, is like how to use an alt tag on an image. It's a 300-word article on how to use alt tags and you think it would be easy, but it's kind of complex. So we try to keep it up to date. And then we also were forgiving. I I think my personal experience was like, you know, when you make something or ship a site that's inaccessible, like a lot of the accessibility crowd, uh, this is my personal experience, mind you, uh, not a crass judgment on everyone, but uh, it was, it was just like, Oh, these idiots didn't make it accessible in this one weird way. Fail. And that to me was actually super discouraging. I made, it made me mad. It wanted, made me like wanted to lash out irrationally and make my sites less accessible. Uh, <laughs> which why just, it's like pride, but like, I don't think that's how you convert people. I don't think that's how you bring people into wanting to do something that's actually for the benefit of everyone in all of humanity, blah, blah, blah. But like, you have to be forgiving. It's like, yeah, you made a mistake. Here's how you can fix it. I, I think that's, but you know, the, the, to the accessibility kind of community's credit, a lot of those people are very passionate. You know, they have a brother, a sister, a father, a mother who has a disability, uh, and they are like, personally invested it is their career they're passionate they think why can't the world just do this just like how we're like why can't the world just use react they're like on the same level they're like why can't the world just make websites that work for everyone you know and and for me it's just like i how i learn things and how i pick up things is to find the low-hanging fruit and try to lower the bar and explain those concepts very simply sort of like i guess what chris did with css but this is sort of just for accessibility trying to dumb it down into layman's uh, sort of term Trying so. to make it accessible for And your even brain. it is kind of controversial in a sense. And I think mostly it's Dave, you get praised for it as you rightly should, but but some I think the isn't this the general backlash is like accessibility isn't a checklist. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too, is that like uh, we got a pull request and it was just like remove the checklist because accessibility is not a checklist. And it's like totally that's true, but you're right. It's not just a checklist you can check on and off. It's not a binary thing. It's actually really hard back to like automated testing. It's hard to automate testing for accessibility. You kind of have to do a manual testing. But if the whole world used this checklist, it'd probably be a better place, you know, just yeah. a shade better. So that's all we're like, going for. 
Yeah, it seems like you're you're kind of aimed at people that don't really know very much at all. Kind of helping them get off the ground instead of being the expert's guide to every little thing about accessibility. Is that kind of accurate? Yeah, like it's sort of the novice's guide to accessibility. Just like how to, okay, convince me, like there's a lot of things we do that are bad practices and you just didn't know it, you know? And, and I think even like for me, I'm of the opinion that every developer, front end developer, and this will go for everyone, like should have some competency in a screen reader. And that's maybe controversial, but it's like, People with screen readers will eventually hit your site. Do you even know what it's going to sound like at all? Like, do you have a shade? So, and, you know, to be honest, I didn't know. And for, like, I've been making websites for like 15 years and I still like don't know stuff about accessibility. And that just seems really weird. Seems like it, it, it should be easier to find best practices. So we have some like articles like getting started with voiceover so you can kind of learn how to navigate with voiceover. And it's very uh, simple on your phone too. If you like turn on the accessibility features, like triple tap to get voiceover turned on and then like getting started with NVDA, which is an open source screen reader made by two uh, blind men from uh, Australia, I believe. So that's a really cool open source project. So yeah, there's a lot. I think lot. it's related. Like think of how much it's related to this current landscape of websites built with JavaScript frameworks, which is just totally feels like the future of how you do it. And think of single page like like just HTML just by itself is like fairly accessible, right? You tab around and you do stuff. And imagine now though that that you know the DOM is just this fluid thing that's just changing all the time. So it's, it becomes a little less accessible because it's you, you can't really know exactly what's there. Imagine like you're working with some piece of content, you go to delete it and a modal box has popped up. Well, we know as developers that a div was just jammed into the DOM and it has some CSSZ index that makes it on the top and some overlay. And like visually, that works great because it draws people attention right to the modal box and it asks for some kind of conversation or something like that. A native, like confirmed dialog box is fairly acceptable. But if you're doing your own because you want to design it, now you've jammed that div in the DOM. How do you make sure that focus for somebody who's using a, a you know, who's 100% blind is using a screen reader that the focus is moved to that dialog box appropriately. You have to kind of hand manage that. And maybe your framework provides that, but probably not. You know, probably you have to kind of think about that and, and deal with it. Or you're, you know, using some JavaScript framework that's forums and you like click to go to a thread and they'll. Uh, tons of the DOM changes because it's moving it now from a list of comments or, or threads or something into one particular comment. Do you, do you hand move the focus around? Where do you take them to? Do you make that choice? What's the standard choice that you should make there? You know, it's like kind of hard questions and I think accessibility is a, should get somebody on like a JavaScript accessibility person. That would be cool. Marcy Sutton has done a lot with making Angular accessible. And she's kind of paired up with their kind of web components team and really influenced their choices in design in, in making components accessible. And that's kind of the thing too, is like, are your components accessible by default? And, and it's a tough, I don't get it right all the time. I don't think anyone does, or most people I know don't get it right all the time, but how cool would the world be if we could, you know, when you make your react components, are they accessible? 
do you just hope or, you know, and when the Dom gets teared down and spit back out, did it work? You know, that's, I think that's <laughs> kind of the, <laughs> I think most people don't know the answer and that's okay, but it would be cool. And that's why I bring up the screen reader thing is like, if everyone had a limited proficiency, like, man, things would get a little bit better for everybody. So that's my thoughts. Yeah, that's we, my opines there. We had Marcy on Adventures in Angular, so if you want to go... Oh, nice. Oh, if you want to go, go listen to that, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. That Man, synergy there. That's Yeah, she's the top. You're tabbing around a page, and oh, here comes the slider. Can I tab into the slider? Where do I go when I tab into the slider? Do, I, do you tab right to the navigational controllers, or are those later in the DOM after all the content in there, so it takes harder to get there? Is there an ARIA role on it where I could jump right there if I need to, or is that missing? Woo tough there's, there's kind of like like my favorite quick cheat is is your website keyboard accessible like can you just and this works for developers can you just tab around your website like can you use it without a mouse and then if the answer is yes then chances are you you're mostly accessible you may have some other stuff to do but but that's kind of a, a interesting way to think about it and especially for developers like we never want to leave our keyboards so it's kind of a cool challenge to walk around your, your website without a mouse. Cool. I really think that that's like super valuable because one key principle of accessibility is if you're increasing accessibility for one group of people, you should inherently be increasing accessibility for all groups of people, right? Like helping one person out won't be a detriment to the other like 99% of the time. That's a very good point. And you're helping the ultimate blind user, Google. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Well, well, that's the thing, right, is that if somebody is using one of these accessibility tools, and it doesn't have to just be blind people. I mean, there are people with all kinds of other disabilities that use different tools. Um, if any of them are programmatic, then AJ's right. I mean, they're, they're going to parse things in a very similar way to figure out what's there, what you can click, and, and how yep. you can make things better. Well, I mean, it, it's even, it, it's, I think like the natural thing is to frame it in a disability sort of, you know, scenario. But man, what if you fall off the bus tomorrow and you like break both your arms or something like, and it's a totally temporary thing, but like for the next eight to 12 weeks, your life kind of is difficult because you, you like lost your sudden use of your arms. Like, man, I don't know that any of the websites or apps I use would be usable if I could only tab around with my thumb, you know, in a cast. So it's something to think about there too. Like there are untold benefits going on. So that's kind of an extreme use case there, but well, it's just, it's kind of also like stuff happens, you know? Well, it may be, or may not be. I mean, I worked with a developer who may or may not be a regular on Ruby rogues who uh, fell and broke his arm. And if you want the details on that, you can ask him. It's kind of a funny story. But So he broke his arm, and he uses Emacs to write his code, which means that hitting control with one hand while you tap the key with the other is kind of essential. Mm -hmm. And so you know he had to find ways to compensate for that. And, of course, he could browse the web mostly like a regular person, but or a person without disabilities, I should say, an able, able-bodied person. But still, you know, there was that level of, okay... I, I have this hindrance. I can't put my other arm on the keyboard. So what do I do? Mm -hmm. That's really good. I'll drop a note here and for into show note land. That was a good post by Ann Gibson that she did an alphabet post a through Z. And for each of the letters of the alphabet, 
wrote down a accessibility problem that maybe you hadn't thought of, you know. It's it tends to be like it's for blind people, but it's not that. It's the arm and a cast. It's I have weird I have some some things wrong with my eyes. I'm colorblind or I have one of the different eyeball things they can have or you're dyslexic or you don't know English that well. I mean, there's a million things that, that accessibility kind of covers. So it's nice to kind of I, think about all of them. I have a friend, I like knew her for like two something years and found out she has double vision. So like everything she sees is double. So like when she reads text on a page is double. And I was like, Oh, how is that? Like if you go to like ESPN where all the type is so tight and small, what's it like? And she's like, Nope. She's, she was just like, Nope, I don't go to those websites because they're terrible. So it's very wow. interesting, like lifestyle to think when you think outside of your condition, it's crazy. It's, it's cool. It's also an awesome foreigner song. <laughs> oh. Can we get that played as the outro? Is that, yeah, we'll play you off with it. <laughs> yeah, there's some legal issues doing that, but <laughs> okay. Can well, I sing well, it? Oh, fair there use. you go. Is that, does that fall under fair use? <laughs> yeah, and we could put a uh, MIDI track behind it. Just to kind of, I, I know we're kind of running short on time, but to bring it back to Shop Talk, I want to ask you if there are any episodes that you really enjoyed or you would really recommend for people who are new to the show. So either some like kind of great episodes that encompass all of Shop Talk or some of your favorite ones. Yeah, just, just rank all your episodes and <laughs> your favorite. Yeah, actually, I mean, there's 170 up on the site, so... Well, I think yeah, first you have to go to episode 91 with Jameson Dance in America. <laughs> uh, that's um, not what I meant to happen. <laughs> nope. That was our JS Jabber crossover. That would be a great time. But it's also like from a year ago, so it would be very interesting to see <laughs> what JavaScript problems we had a year or two ago. It's so all that totally be- different now. No, I know it's that's like if you listen to like old episodes, we're like, should I use SAS? And like some of we're like, I don't know about that. It might be hard. <laughs> so things have changed. Uh, I don't know. Chris, do you have do you have top episodes? Well, maybe for JS Jabber listeners, the 101 that we did with John Resig was super interested. He was like on point that day, like talking about all kinds of interesting stuff, including some of the like more esoteric things he's into, all that. Japanese woodblock stuff that I, I just think I, we got a pretty good reaction from that. I think people uh, may enjoy that. Alex Russell from the Googs uh, was a good one. We had yeah, Tom that, Dale. Tom Dale. Those are some JavaScript heavy ones. Some of the we've done some pretty weird ones. We did one where we pretended like it was. God, what year did we pick, Dave? Nineteen ninety two thousand and five or something. Two thousand like four. Our episode one twenty three. Uh, we dug up an episode <laughs> from two thousand four when Chris and I were on college radio. Um, <laughs> that one was so, just straight up weird. So that's that my one was weird. One ever. <laughs> um, there's. I, I'm just cruising through the archives in a flood of memories. But there's a lot. Lara Hogan would be great talking about performance and how they kind of approach it at Etsy. You know, it, if, if we just had Paul Irish's mom on, that was pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Literally, Lisa Irish on the show, episode 166. Uh, I, that was a great one because it turns out Lisa runs like an email newsletter and a blog. And it's so cool just to see, I'll call them normies, how normies <laughs> uh, 
use the web. I mean, we're all super nerds and, and like, well, I'm going to write my own MailChimp, you know, like <laughs> MailChimp's not good enough. But like, how do normal people use the web? I, I think it's sort of what it turned into. And we got some really awesome Paul Irish gems, uh, uh, which is good. And then the last one I'm going to mention, uh, 161 with Eric Meyer, who uh, kind of a CSS hero, tells a really awesome story about how your designs and your websites might seem super cool to you, but to a person who's in a state of crisis or like stressed out or mad, they might not want to go to your website where like it's like, house in sunshine by real estate they might just be like looking for a house because their house is on fire right now or something i don't know so you kind of have he has a really good story in that show um that's worth listening to so very cool all right well i think we're pretty close to the end of our time i know uh a couple of people have stuff going on a little later today so let's get into the picks joe do you want to start us off with picks sure this last weekend, I traveled up to the great state of Canada. North, there was a North Montana? Is it? Yeah, North, North Montana. <laughs> there was a joke in there. You, can, you, you don't have to laugh. It's fine. Don't worry Hold about on. it. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I got us. <laughs> so I did laugh, but my mic was off. So I was oh. with you spiritually. Doesn't so, count. I was in Canada in the city of Winnipeg. Went up there to watch the Women's World Cup. Saw the U.S. play... Uh, Sweden actually saw a doubleheader, took my daughter up because she's a big soccer fan. I'm a big soccer fan. So my pick today, my first pick will be the Women's World Cup because it's going on right now. And even by the time this podcast comes out, it will still be going on and going on for a few more weeks. And in case you did not know, the U.S. women's soccer team is one of the dominant soccer teams in the world and has a very good chance of taking the cup. So if you like sports and especially soccer, I highly recommend you watch the World Cup, especially the U.S. games, because they usually kick butt. So that'll be my uh, first pick. And my second pick will be the city of Winnipeg. I can't really remember anything particularly nice about it, but nothing bad happened while I was there. So (laughs) (laughs) there's a glowing recommendation right there. (laughs) Nothing bad happened. It was in Winnipeg. I'm going to throw in one more pick. While I was on the trip, I had a lot of chance to do reading, and I know that other people have picked this book, but I'm going to pick The Martian. I started reading it. I tried reading it once and got a little bored, but since I read the XKCD cartoon where they basically explained that the book is, if you liked the part of Apollo 13, you know, the movie with Tom Hanks, right? One of them. Where they had all the little parts, and they said, we got to, using these parts, we have to fit this square thing into this round thing. And he says, if you would like a whole movie about just that, then you'll love The Martian. And once I heard that, I was like, oh, I want to read this book. So I, That's I'd exactly like what it's like. Yeah. yeah. After a scene of him, like little blog entries of what, of like what he had to do that day to live. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is the movie out? Or? No, no, no. It doesn't come out until like later this year. But the book was good. Yeah. But yeah. So I'm reading the book two thirds of the way or three quarters of the way through. It's been awesome. Love it. So it's my third and final pick. All right, Amy, what are your picks? Okay, I have two. The first one, so we had a hackathon at work this past week, and we used this app called Zapier. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. It's like 
I think it's Zapier. I don't know if anybody's heard of it. It's like a super easy way to automate tasks between different apps. So uh, I didn't have all kinds of applications on there, like GitHub and Google Calendar and the list goes on and on. But so for instance, if you want to set up something on your Google Calendar, you can uh, like really easily then connect that with GitHub and do something on GitHub when that event happens on your calendar. Anyway, so that was my first pick. We used it to like integrate stuff with our application here. And my second pick is kind of like a plug for stuff I've been working on at Works, but we've been working on something called SparkPost, which is a way to send transactional emails from your application. And we just launched the Heroku beta. So now you can go on Heroku and try out the stuff for free. So that was my second pick. All right, AJ, what are your picks? Oh my goodness, if there was ever a day that I had like a bajillion picks to make up for all the other days, but I'll try to save some for another time. So I have been making a bad habit of picking Microsoft stuff lately, and I'm going to continue on in that bad habit because did you know, okay, so I tweeted at Microsoft after they came out with that, um, they, they had that Internet Explorer sucks less campaign, and... So I tweeted them something like, I'll believe that Internet Explorer sucks less when it runs on a Mac and it updates every six weeks. Internet Explorer can now run on a Mac with the tools that they provide. It's a VM, but you can run it on Mac and Linux, and they also have a a browser stack type tool. So the one is dev.modern.ie slash tools slash VMS. And the other is remote.modern.ie. Now, it's unfortunate the naming system that they picked there because, in other great news, Internet Explorer is officially dead. There is no more Internet Explorer ever to be developed. There is now Microsoft Edge, which is definitely not Internet Explorer because I had this wonderful moment of, like, evil glee when I learned that one of the companies around here, their IT department has built their web apps around Internet Explorer. So they only work in Internet Explorer. And with the announcement of Microsoft Edge, they have to transition everything over to standards compliant because it will not work in Microsoft Edge at all. So everything that's funky about Internet Explorer is gone. And uh, Microsoft Edge supports web crypto. I don't know if they have full support for the content security policy yet when it uh, when when Windows 10 launches, but hopefully they will. There was a couple other things about it too. But anyway, so I'm excited about this. And then I'll just mention two other things right now. Star Fox Zero was announced. So the Star Fox game for the Wii U that we've been waiting for for the past three years since the Wii U you know, came out, it's finally coming out. So get ready to do a barrel roll. I'm excited for that. And then, so I mentioned this hot plate exercise, this this kind of homework assignment that I got at, at BYU once. And so some people actually did it and posted on my gist, like, heard you on the show. I went and did this. And so somebody did it in C and did it in Ruby and did it in JavaScript. And I thought it was really cool. So I want to issue another challenge. If you haven't tried Untrusted JS, play with that. It's a game where the game's only half built and you build it as you go. All right, Dave, what are your picks? Okay, I have two fun picks for you today. The first one is an airline hack that I am a little bit reluctant to share because I'm pretty sure the lawyers of the airline industry will figure out a way to shut this down soon. But it turns out you can book flights to weird locations that have layovers 
And if you get, if you actually want to go to the layover, it would, like the place where the layover would be, it would be more expensive than the ultimate destination. So this website has collated data about these kinds of anomalous flights. So if you want to go, say, for example, to uh, Amsterdam from Salt Lake, they will find you a flight that actually goes to uh, Milan, but with a layover in Amsterdam, and it's cheaper than a direct flight to Amsterdam. <laughs> so, so do you uh, just miss your the next? You just flight? miss the last flight, which means you can't check your bags, so you have to carry them on. But you save a ton of money. Like, <laughs> literally, like in the case of Amsterdam, I flew to Amsterdam a few weeks ago. The total ticket price was three thousand dollars. I just found one for eight hundred and fifty bucks. <laughs> anyway, wow. it's uh, it is the most amazing airline hack I've ever heard. It's called skiplagged.com. Uh, skip l a g g e d dot com. Get on it now because I'm pretty sure the lawyers will find a way to shut this down. Uh, that's one. My second pick is a podcast I stumbled across with one of my favorite cultural icons of interest, probably the nerdiest voice on the internet radio, which is Judge John Hodgman. He does a fun podcast, which is a little bit reminiscent of the Judge John, uh, what is it, Wapner of the People's Court back in the day, where people come on and share their problems, and he analyzes them in very witty, fast ways, and I love the way my brain feels after I listen to him speaking. So that's my two picks for you. Thanks. All right, Chris, do you want to give us your picks? Sure. I I just was really tired this Sunday, and I was looking for a new show to watch, and uh, uh, popped on Wayward Pines that just started. It's on Fox, and it's like the M. Night Shyamalan show, but uh, there's only been five episodes so far, and I knocked through all of them, and if anybody's interested, it's super great. Definitely try to make it up through episode five, because it just gets crazy. Guy, like, wakes up in the woods, and it's a weird town, and they won't let him leave kind of thing. But it's, uh, you know, it feels like it's going to be one of those shows that's too many questions and not enough answers. But this is, like, too many answers. It's weird. And uh, I really like the band, uh, 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 the musician Sturgill Simpson, and his new record, Metamodern Sounds and Country Music. So uh, he's, check check him out. I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. All right. David, do you want to give us some picks? Uh, yeah, I can do. I got two uh, here. My first one is the economic value of res- rapid response time, a 1982 IBM report, <laughs> um, which explains the Doherty threshold. And I heard about this on AMC's Halt and Catch Fire. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So they're talking about this. They like it's basically the idea that your computer has to respond under a 400 millisecond response time increases people's productivity. And this is 1982 productivity. I don't know what that is, but it's just interesting that the, the once you're under that threshold, productivity dramatically increases. And, and I like, I wrote about it on my blog, trying this new thing where you do the like daring fireball, talk about a one link a day kind of thing. But I think it's very interesting from a web perf perspective because you can kind of see that 400 millisecond line, like one response from a cell phone tower. Can you be working uh, any more than that? Ugh, it starts to I'm going to check out if it takes longer than than three or 10 seconds or something like that. So uh, it's interesting that a 1982 report kind of starts having like modern day parallels. I think that's very interesting. My next one is, uh, I, you, you guys have, y'all have probably already talked about it, but the Adventure Zone podcast, is anyone listening to this? It mm-hmm. is on MaximumFun.org. It is the Adventure Zone, Zonecast or something on Twitter. But Justin, Travis, and Griffin McElroy 
sit down with their dad, Clint, and they do a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. So it's three brothers and their dad playing Dungeons and Dragons. You have to start at episode one. It's a very linear thing, but it is maximum hilarious, pants weddingly funny. That's the, that's I the guy from Sawbones, right? Yeah, Sawbones. They do a couple of podcasts over on Maximum Fun. So, and one guy's like an editor at Polygon or a, a, a reviewer at Polygon. So, pretty awesome show. Highly recommend it, especially if you're into, I don't know, kind of adults playing D&D. It's kind of funny. It's Maximum Funny. So, yep. <laughs> All right. Jameson, do you have some picks for us? I do have some picks for you. One will make you feel better. One will make you a better person and one will make you feel happier. So they're, they're all good. And I'll leave you, I'll leave it up to you guys to figure out which one is which. Uh, the first one is React Rally. It's a conference that I am co-organizing. Uh, it's all about React.js and it's in Salt Lake City from August 24th to 25th. The call for proposals will probably be closed by the time this goes live, but the ticket should be on sale then. So we'd love to see you. We have a great lineup and, uh, we've got some great announcements coming up too. The next pick is a YouTube video of a Japanese tennis star telling you to never give up. And it it inspires me every day. And then the last pick is a demo that this guy named Matt McKegg did of he, he, so he's working with the web audio API to build this product around the web audio API and the web MIDI API to control synthesizers uh, with JavaScript. And it's just him doing a live performance of some electronic music that he's composed, but all in JavaScript, and it's really, really incredible. Uh, so watch that just to see how amazing people are at building stuff. Those are my picks. All right. Um, I've got a few picks as well. The first one is a podcast. Um, I think I might have picked it on the show before, but I don't know, so I'm going to pick it again. It's called Serial. So there's a young man. I guess he's about my age. Anyway, when he was in high school, he was convicted of murdering his ex-girlfriend. And so they go back through all of the people that were involved, all the people that testify, and they you know, they show where the problems are in the different stories. And anyway, it's awesome. They've done their first season, so you can get the complete story. The next one, or the next season, is going to be a different crime or something like that, I think. So I think the jury's still out on that one, but... Uh, this one looks good. I've heard a whole bunch of people saying that they think he's guilty, and I've heard a whole bunch of people saying that they think he's innocent. I haven't finished it yet. So, anyway, just fascinating stuff. Yes, uh, the sequel is undisclosed. Oh, okay. So that's one pick. Also, if you're into Ruby, I'm putting on a conference next week. It's online, so you can attend, unless you have something else going on that week. And when this comes out, we will be one day in. So you can still buy a ticket and get access. So I'm just going to throw that out there. You can get it at rubyremoteconf.com. And I think that's all I've got. Let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap up the show. Thanks for coming, guys. Yay. Thank you. Yeah, that was tons of fun. Thanks, man. Yeah, and thanks to our panel. We'll wrap up the show. We'll catch you all next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Fox Group. 
check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests.